You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. Welcome back to RCR. This is Counterculture with Marie, and this week I have the great pleasure to speak with Neil James. Now, this is a name that most of you won't know, especially if you are somebody that participates in hand knitting or yarn crafts. Why am I talking about hand knitting and yarn crafts, Marie, you ask? Well, Neil and I are going to dissect this for you because one of the places that wokeism, especially, or critical social justice, as it's often known, really did rear its ugly head and pop itself out into the mainstream was in the yarn and knitting community. I've got first-hand experience, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. And I brought my friend Neil along to help me out with this because Neil works in the thick of this. And Neil, welcome along to uh, Counterculture. I've been, you were on one of the tops of my list to talk to wow. on this show. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It's oh, a pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having, <laughs> thanks for um, coming along. And as people may have noticed, um, Neil is uh, from across the Briny. So tell us a little bit more about you and whereabouts you're situated and uh, okay. we'll dive in. Well, I'm in the UK. I'm in a city very close to Manchester. So I'm in the north and I'm an ex-teacher. I used to teach English and uh, now I'm running a an online knitting magazine and I'm constantly getting myself into trouble and <laughs> it's like I can't even go into an empty room without somebody calling me a name and uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a bit crazy but um, yeah so at the moment I'm uh, I write patterns and I write articles and I get other people to do the same and then um, and that's about it really that's my story. Yeah, and it's one, as you said, you've, you really are right in it. Now, for those listeners who do not knit, and you will not be aware of this, let's give them, Neil, a brief description of what is colloquially known in our world as the knitting wars. So what Ooh. is it? How did it, I mean, <laughs> how did it start? Oh, well, uh, the exact pinpoint moment is probably quite difficult. But I think to set the scene, I think it all began around the Donald Trump election and a, uh, with the Brexit elect, uh, vote so in the UK as well. So that's 2016. Yeah, 2016. Yeah, it did start a little bit before that, but if you think that's what most people were feeling at the time, you were, it was very polarised everywhere. And um, there was a, a group of people, so the very, very beginning was a group of people who were politically active in the knitting world on a website called Ravelry. And they had a, a group called The Bunker, where they used to talk about um, Donald Trump, the upcoming election, republicanism, if that's a phrase, I don't know, Um and basically, they were just Republicans that gathered together and talked about knitting and politics. And they got barred from Ravelry. And that was the start of it. And then slowly from that point, it built up and built up. And then um, after the election, um, oh, we had um, the whole uh, pink pussy hat debacle. Mm -hmm. That's um, right. So people that don't know, when Donald Trump was elected, um, knitters went crazy around the world and knitted pink hats. And they went on the Women's March, I think it was called. And at the time, pink yarn sold out across America. Nobody could get pink yarn anywhere. And there was a 
there's so many stories. Um, you'll have to stop me because there's there was one lady who owns her own shop in the middle of America, and um, she didn't have any pink yarn. And this woman came in, this you know militant woman came in and said, "I want pink yarn so I can knit a pussy hat." And this lady who was a Trump supporter who ran this shop said ah, well, I don't want to sell you pink yarn if that's what you're going to knit it for. So she was the very, very first casualty. And they tried to get her shop closed down. And they went for it in a big way. Uh, but since then, with some of the more higher profile cases, she's been forgotten about. And so then the 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 big thing that happened was Ravelry, which is, at the time, it was sort of probably the most famous um knitting website that there was where you could get patterns you could go on forums and chat with people they made a statement where they said that any support for donald trump was i think the word they used was uh unequivocally i think that's how you say it um was unequivocally racism and white supremacy and as a result of that a lot of people were barred, including myself. We all had to leave Ravelry. But then where the knitting war actually started is that then a list, a blacklist, started to be circulated. And anybody who was anybody in the knitting world, if they didn't make a statement saying that they supported Ravelry's ban, they were basically put on the blacklist. So businesses were targeted then. And then it didn't just yeah. stop. And that's this. that's when the whole diversity, business diversity statement started, because that's yes. when I first became aware of it. I had knitters uh, contacting me. And, so, um, and for context, I work in a yarn-based business and I own a yarn-based event. And I had people contacting me around both of them saying, when are you going to publish your diversity statement? And I was like, what? Because I will be honest to listeners out there, I, I pay, I'm shocking, I pay very little attention. I only, I mean, it's bad enough just getting out of bed, running a couple of businesses, <laughs> doing what I have to do, organise ch children and husbands. I'm one of those classic, up until this point, I was one of those classic sleeping normies that had no <laughs> idea of what was going on in the world around me. Uh, so yeah, the diversity, oh, the fantastic diversity statements. Oh. And, and I just looked at them and I said, well, I have one of those. It's the map that sits out the door that says everyone is welcome. <laughs> a diversity statement. Is that not, does that not fly these days, people? Obviously not. Anyway, continue. <laughs> yeah, so uh, um, so the, everyone was making these statements. Well, not everyone, and that was the issue. So um, the people that didn't, they then were blacklisted and people would not buy their yarn. They would not go to their stores. They were no longer invited to any events that other people went to. And the vast majority of people probably weren't as bad as these this small group. But I think there was such a feeling of fear that a lot of people just went along with it and just did it for an easy life. And, um, and then from that point on, everything kind of started to build and build. And then there was the George Floyd killing in America, and then it really went crazy. Um, and I can't remember at what point um, the British designer... Sockmetician, also known as Nathan Taylor, got dragged into this. That I can't was remember quite, at what point. No, yeah, so that I do know because I was in the thick of that. <laughs> so yeah. um, having worked with Nathan um, both in my event and in my other life. So that actually all started unfolding prior. So George Floyd was 2020, just after COVID. But it was um, a full year prior to that that things had gotten really 
nutso. So uh, to fill that gap for the listeners is that a Karen Templar, who was a blogger and knitter, she was quite well followed and she designed as well. She's actually designed some lovely stuff. She was going for a trip to India and she had blogged how excited this was a bucket list trip for her and she was exceptionally excited and in her blog she mentioned that she felt like it was so otherworldly that she almost felt like that she could be going to Mars it was so so outside of her norm outside of her comfort zone and she was beyond excited to go and that was translated by the social justice knitters as being essentially the most racist thing you could possibly say and they the fire and fury that rained down on her in a mob um pile on online was absolutely horrific and that sent reverberations around the online um community within knitting which is quite large and then from there that bubbled along um, the whole diversity statement thing had sort of petered out. And then Nathan, it was about six months later. So for six, there was about yeah five or six month period from the Templar incident. Uh, Maria Tuscan was, was just after that. Yeah. She made yeah. comment. Uh, she was in another yarn dyer from uh, the west coast of the United States, northern west coast of the United States. And if anybody has visited in that part of the world, it's very uh, liberal, very left leaning. And she a very quietly soft-spoken, um, eloquent young woman who hand dyes hand knitting yarns. She sews. She's she leads a very quiet life with her husband, and <laughs> she on and she had a very well prescribed um, vlog. And on her show, she said, "You know, I'm finding all of this." hate really around what's going on I'm finding it really difficult and I'm actually going to um, take a wee break uh, from talking to everybody around knitting and uh, sort of just give herself some some time and then I'll come back well apparently you're not allowed to step away from the the field of battle according to our friends so they piled privilege on, yes so they piled on her and the, I mean, I think her white shining face of white supremacy was the line oh. I remember. The white <laughs> shining face oh. of white supremacy. So the her cancellation was massive because she was probably one of the leading independent dyers in the United States at the time. And it, that cancellation was went international and it really was very nasty and I know Maria and believe me she is the sweetest person that you could ever 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 meet and the thing with uh, Maria as well is that the hate is still today being directed at her I I read something only yesterday on a reddit post that was saying things about her and you know how racist and evil she is and I was like what are we talking about the same person you know because I I know Maria as well and she is genuinely genuinely Um, lovely yeah so she so then that happened and then all of this is going on and Nathan Taylor aka Sockmetician um 
and his book's just about to be launched. I'm very I know, excited I can't about wait. That. I can't so wait. So excited about that. <laughs> so Nathan um, is an incredible man. He's uh, he has pioneered um, a knitting technique. He uh, has he at the time I think he was probably the fastest up and coming um, independent knitter and designer within the British sphere, and he uh, had the temerity the temerity to publish a poem around kindness and he he I mean this is an openly gay man who's HIV positive he's an advocate for HIV um, sufferers he his advocacy work goes well beyond knitting he is again genuinely one of life's true gentlemen and he had uh, coined a hashtag diverse nitty as a way to bring everybody together because that is just how Nathan rolls. And with that, he was lauded by this group. They thought he was wonderful until he he um, published a poem um, about kindness. <laughs> so, uh, and just sort of appealed. How dare this, he? <laughs> how dare he? In this very beautifully written poem on how to uh, promote kindness amongst the community. And he popped it out and there's a whole bunch of back stuff with around that time, which I will not go into. I don't have permission from him to, to do that, but uh, suffice it to say, he put the poem out and you would have thought that he had declared war on the knitting community by asking them to yeah. take a step back and actually with their, uh, with their reactions and just take a step back, take a breath and be kind. Well, he was accused initially, the first thing I think was that he was tone policing. And for those that don't know, there's a hierarchy of sort of victimhood out there. And yes. gay men used to be quite high in that hierarchy, you know, um, you know, classed as victims. You know, you had the persecution from years ago. You had the HIV and AIDS stuff that went on, whereas now they've fallen down the hierarchy and now any uh, anyone who's black or trans is actually perceived as being more worthy of i don't know attention or more worthy of sympathy and because he was talking about things that involved race that's why they said he was tone policing and he didn't have the right apparently to talk about any racial issues mm. as if you know because otherwise because he doesn't know he has white privilege as so they would say um mm. And um, yeah, it was it was pretty bad what they did to Nathan. And that's when I first sort of became aware of everything and how bad it was. Just because, you know, I know who Nathan is and, you know, he's a he's a theatrical guy. And um, and he, I mean, Nathan and I in the past, I have had an, an encounter with Nathan before all this happened. And we had a big argument online, you know, so we weren't friends or anything. But the thing about him is that we had this argument. We both said what we had to say and then we both moved on. And neither yeah, of us Nathan. tried to yeah, destroy. Exactly. Yeah, neither yeah. of us tried to destroy the other because we're just not like that. Um, so when they did this to him, it really kind of, got to me because I thought no this isn't right what they're doing is not right it isn't fair so I remember at the time saying uh, some quite I wasn't known get you know don't get me wrong and nobody mm. knew who I was at that time but I did say a few very strong things that his sister noted and she sent me a thank you said oh thank you she said I wouldn't have chosen your words but thank you for saying them because it was quite rude what I wrote and you know? actually <laughs> in light of what happened here in New Zealand just recently with Posey Parker's visit and the, the mob coming in 
to attack her. Well, he experienced a similar thing. So after all of um, the brouhaha over the poem, he had to attend an event and he contacted the event organizers and said, look, do you want me to still come? He had just had a, a book released. Um, it was one of the Haynes guides. It was called Men's, Men, I think Men Nuts or Men's Nut. And yep. he was uh, due to do a book signing at this very large event, uh, I think not too far from where you are. And he contacted the organisers and said, look, do you still want me to come? I've committed to the event, I, um, but I understand in the current climate it may not be a good idea. The event organiser, the person who spoke to, said, yes, yes, we definitely want you to come. But in the background, they had been working with um, people to actually create a scene. And he got mobbed and essentially verbally and physically threatened to the point where he verbally re retaliated. And that verbal retaliation was twisted around. It was all designed to set him up. He, they, they literally baited the trap let him go into it, set the trap off, and that from and then that just escalated it to a whole nother, another level. And to the point, as you said, Nathan is um, he's really passionate. He's very theatrical, and he it, it hit him hard because he is so such a genuine person that he ended up his husband had to take him to hospital he was quite unwell both physically and mentally for that period of time after that and then that's when you saw these masks come off I often talk about this yeah. woke mask that miraculously comes off at these times and when you started seeing people within the knitting community saying they wished he was dead and um, oh you know they're making this up and they're just they're trying to make it all about him and it's like the man is you you have driven him to this i think I, I think I read well sorry i think i read one no, post that said um you know they wanted to see pictures you know they didn't believe that he was in hospital and they wanted yeah. to see proof and it's like who who are these people to demand this of anybody you know yeah. who, who nobody's account you know accountable to them you yeah. know it, it was so awful um yeah. yeah and i think um anybody that participated in that I think you know there will be some people in New Zealand that did participate. Oh, there'll be a very couple, there'll be a so. few, and they should be ashamed of what they did because it was the, well. There's no other word than bullying, but it was the intensity of it. And I mean, I've I've encountered it on a smaller scale, but when you're getting message after message after message after message telling you you are literally the scum of the earth, you know, they want mm -hmm. you to die. They, you know, hope you kill yourself or they hope you do this or they say they're going to do this to you or that to you or whatever. It does get to you, you yeah, know, and for him to get that many, because he would have, excuse me, he would have had thousands and thousands of those messages come through. Oh, it was, it was, it was awful. You know, I was in touch again with his sister at that time. I know her as well. And uh, yeah, it was completely awful. So we'll, let's continue down this timeline because I want to come back to what you've just said a little bit further down the interview, but so 20, so then that Nathan happened, that was uh, through that period of time, 2019. Yeah. Um, I got dragged in because Nathan had it re just recently attended my event uh, here in New Zealand. And, uh, oh, in fact, no, he was about to attend my event. Yeah, had he just released his yarn? He had just yarn released just his yarn. Out. His yarn had just come out and he was coming to the event. So 
there was a feeling amongst New Zealanders there were some that were deeply unhappy that I was having him here and I yeah I was just like well I'm sorry because he <laughs> like, was so dangerous <laughs> I, I, look I, I because the event is solely mine I very much have the attitude it's my party and I can do what I like so if Absolutely, you don't like it yeah. you don't like it don't come people it's quite simple um, but people still come so it's good but at that time though it's because I hadn't yet fully been cancelled by the mob I had a number of people at the event who were actually 2018 I had Nathan at the event um a number of people at the event who had those social justice leanings and I was kind of aware but we all got on like we all just um I hadn't yet crossed the Rubicon to the other side at that point so I was sort of my decidedly old-fashioned views were tolerated by the group uh and then as you said too so that sort of bubbled along through 2018-2019 George Floyd beginning of 2020 and that whole flip in terms of critical social justice from something that was quite fringe into everyday mainstream happened and how did that translate in the knitting community oh well i think the first thing i noticed was the black squares so everyone initially had to put a black square up to show their solidarity with what was happening with the blm movement um or they had to make a statement you know hashtag blm And anybody that said the all lives matter response were immediately accused of being racist and blocked by everybody and whatever. And um, But then what happened next was quite weird, is that um, a number of uh, black people in the knitting world, uh, quite prominent in the knitting world, they suddenly said that people had to take down their black squares because that was some kind of white performativity. You know, it was... I, I don't quite understand it. I couldn't get my head around it, you know. And it was white people thinking that they could solve the, you know, the, instead of really doing the work, because this is one of the things they say, you need to do the work. If you're not actively anti-racist, you are a racist, which to me is kind of ridiculous because that's like saying, if you're not every day actually anti-killing people, then you are a supporter of killing people. You you know what I mean? Like there are yeah. some things that you just don't do that because it's not in your sphere of life. But if you're not defending, you know, black people every minute of your day, that means you're a racist. Um so from that point then um it became this thing of um, there were black knitters. And I need to say, there are plenty of black knitters out there that aren't part of this, you know, and don't get involved in this. So this I isn't actually think it's the, the large majority of black knitters yeah. aren't part of this. I think it's a very, very yeah. small vocal minority of... Well, it's such a small... I'm not going to name them, but it is, mm. it is such a small minority that we could list them all. You know, we could mm. name them all on, like, both... Maybe 10, I would say, maybe one or two more... Um, But then what started to happen then was they started to accuse the white knitting community of not supporting them and actively only supporting white designers, white yarn dyers. And my argument against that was, well, when I buy yarn or buy a pattern, I buy it for the yarn or the pattern. I don't actually need to know at any point of that process the colour of skin of the person that has actually designed it or produced it, because that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, you, you're not mm. buying the person, you're buying the yarn that they produced. Mm. Um, so then it became this thing that everybody had to buy from black makers, uh, which I don't have an issue with, but the where it became a problem was that it was at the expense of everybody else. So you had 
struggling people of all races you know it isn't just black people that are struggling the yarn world you know better than anyone the yarn world is a difficult world to be in you know mm. you especially if you're an indie dyer if you're doing it from your kitchen sink for example you know not many people can make a living that way and there are a lot of people that have gone out of business now and whether that is because people have to only be seen to be buying from people who are black or ethnic minority or whatever if you buy from a white dyer then you're basically upholding white supremacy and that's kind of <laughs> so no I, so i'm actually let's let's unpack this a bit because i i fully agree with you it has there are a lot of people and it's not just um both in this country and abroad an indie dying was at its peak probably seven or eight years ago and you know we couldn't keep up with selling undyed yarn we were selling it around the world and what we mean by indie dyers uh to those who are unaware these are people that die take undyed yarn and they dye it in a small home-based operation and I'm not just sort of talking about like the kid kids with food coloring type stuff this is truly beautiful beautiful um artisans that create these stunning yarns uh in color and fiber and it it's you know it's a multi-million dollar um industry worldwide so very small very niche but very very engaging community so when it went woke which it started back, actually it would be now, sort of seven-ish years ago, uh, when the when the wokeness started creeping in. Yeah, as you said, about just prior to 2016. It is literally a case, I think, with a lot of these indie dyes, go woke, go broke, because I have seen uh, from a sales perspective, um, sales sort of deteriorate, and you see a lot of these dyes who step away, and they claim everything else is the reason for stepping away (laughs) except the fact that their politics has turned people off and people have stopped buying because that's one of the things I've noticed within the knitting community because of those high profile cancellations and pile-ons and they'll generally pick one in each country there'll be some poor schmuck in each country that will get that'll get it and in New Zealand uh, listeners it was me so um <laughs> yes you schmuck oh <laughs> uh, yes yes my my, my schmucky moment my uh, I'd already see I was on the fringes I was on the fringes uh as I said for sort of what 2019 2018 2019 I had a few skirmishes and managed to head those off at the pass but in 2020 when the lockdowns happened hold on I was just gonna hmm throw COVID into the mix and a lot of the uh, those that were most fervent around COVID measures also happened to be those who were uh, most woke and most into COVID. It's funny that, isn't it? Yes, incredibly. So if you weren't marching to the tune of the, the COVID drum, you and, and you even questioned it, you were treated in exactly the same way. So uh, being a granny killer was the new racist there for a while. And of course, me being slightly contrarian, I I didn't really think, what, I just, I, I, I was, at, we did follow the rules. This is the, this is the great irony is that we followed the rules. We did everything as we were supposed to in the knitting community here, uh, got quite, hit up about it and there were a few lines that were crossed and I got to a point at that stage where I was like I am really sick of this now 
I am really I've really had enough of this rubbish and a mutual friend of ours uh, had a show and I and they, she interviewed me um well they both interviewed me around this I and they'd been working on me for months because they knew I was part of the Nathan um thing so I finally did a interview broadcast uh via the US and after it took about three weeks before the local knitters had cottoned on that I'd spoken out and that's when hell on earth unleashed on me <laughs> and that's when I want to get back to when you were saying with Nathan so you know with all these voices yelling and screaming I can tell you firsthand that it is awful. I, I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That there was a period there of about two or three weeks where you, um, I mean, every single social media platform that you have any interaction with is just being flooded with hate. Your inbox is full of the most vile emails. Um, the any forum or group that has knitting or whatever in your sphere as a discussion is just talking about you and saying 99% of it is completely untrue and they will deliberately ban block or delete you out of those groups so you can't interact with anything yep. that's been said so I have people taking screenshots and compiling it so I have a, a file I've kept a file of everything actually I don't I haven't read it all I don't I don't think I, yeah, I don't want I to. do the same I do yeah. the same. And I yeah. keep a file purely because uh, if I have a Posey Parker moment and somebody actually oversteps the mark, and I have a police case number, I have a, a, a caseworker, I have been to our NetSafe regulator, I have a case number with them, um, because there will be, a, there's, a, in law in this country, there is a very distinct line that people have to cross before anything yeah. can happen. And they went up to the line in my case. But didn't quite go over it, and now that I have this new job, <laughs> that, may, that that may happen. Uh, so well, you know, so, mm. so then uh, I mean, I'm, and, and you. So let's talk about the blocked magazine. Enough, enough about me. Well, let's talk about the blocked <laughs> magazine because uh, because you did this as a reaction too for some of the stuff you were seeing. So we handled things quite yeah. differently. I went on to a podcast and thought, stuff it, I'm going to keep going with my business. You, darling, decided to create a magazine. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I could have just carried on knitting in Manchester and never been heard of by anybody and nobody would have noticed me, you know, for whatever. But what, what triggered me was I, I'd been, to use one of their words, I was triggered already because of Nathan. I was fuming about Nathan because it was like, hang on, you know, th this is so wrong and so unfair. And then they did it to Christy Glass. And for me, then it was like, not that I particularly liked Christy Glass. I've said this before, you know, I watched a few of her videos, but I wasn't a fan or anything like that. But I just thought, this is wrong. This, this, somebody has to do something about this. Mm. This is getting out of control. And I knew that everybody was worried that they might be next because mm. Christy Glass was probably one of the bigger names in terms of influencers, if that's the right phrase. And oh, she, she was one of the people, original influencers. Yeah. yeah. OG and she influencer. gave people a forum, you know, she mm. interviewed people and they became famous in the knitting world because of her. And they, what they did with her was, possibly worse than Nathan Taylor, I think. Well, to be fair, it's not worse or better. It's as bad as, you know, the, both of them were appalling what happened to them. And what happened was 
on the day of George George Floyd, um, his death, Christy Glass um, released a video. Now, what people don't know is that she released so many videos that a lot of them were pre-recorded. And if you, when you do YouTube channels, you can actually schedule things to be put out on the air when you're not there. So, you know, she did a, a recording with a friend and they were showing a, a knitted shawl and they were dancing through the woods or something somewhere near where she lived. And that, because she did these little daft little dances whenever she showed a, a knitted item. And that was already pre-planned to be released on that specific date. So she didn't know that George Floyd was going to be killed. So the first thing they went for her was that how dare she show a video of herself frolicking in the woods when this man had been killed. You know, and it's like, well, why... You know, the two things aren't related. You know, did they say mm. the same thing to everything that was aired on every channel in the world on that day? You know, if anybody put anything out, did they attack them? But they, it was just her that they seemed to have the issue with. And then the next thing was um, a bit later on, Michelle Obama, the ex-First Lady of America, she appeared on the cover of Vogue Knitting Magazine because she claims she's a knitter. And the cover didn't show any knitting and it didn't show Michelle Obama doing any knitting, which is quite unusual. You know, when you have a magazine, you tend to try and put knitting on the cover or at least something related to knitting, you know, and uh, all Christy Glass did. She showed this, um, this cover on her channel and she said, where's the knitting? You know, where's the knitting Vogue, you know? And then she made a comment about um, the ring on Michelle Obama's finger because she's married, but it was on the, what looked like on the opposite hand. And she made a comment about that. It wasn't disparaging, but basically she made a comment about Vogue's editorial choices because they must have flipped the image to make the it image, look yeah. better. Yeah, so that's all that was. That was all. Well, the um, I'm not going to name the names unless you want me to, but then a, no. um, a particular yarn dyer, um, who, a black woman, who um, currently is... Um, how can we say, uh, alleged, there's a lot of allegations about her, f about fraud and things like that. And these are allegations, I need to say that quite strongly. You know, we don't know whether these are true at the moment. Um, she basically accused her of racism. So then that happened and people, a few people heard about it and a few people condemned her for it. But then what was the nail in, in Christy Glass's coffin was that a much more famous black indie dyer then made a, a, a she did a rant she did a, a a 45 minute rant and i've recorded this rant. i still have it and it was absolutely disgusting what she was saying she was making racist comments about christy glass she made comments about christy glass's religion um i mean bad really bad things i'm not just saying she was it wasn't schoolyard bullying stuff it was defamation you know the worst kind of things you could say um the reason was it's all getting very complicated, so I'll try and make it as simple as possible. But Christy Glass had just launched a new thing where she and her business partner did these events. And at these events, you could advertise your business. And as part of that deal, she would interview you at the event. and that, But you, as a, as a vendor, would have to pay for that advertising. And I think it was $200 or $250. But they had a professional film crew there. They'd, they'd laid out, I think it was about £2,500 for this film crew. And Adela was going to be one of the main people. And Christy Glass... Oh, sorry. Uh, Christy Glass and... <laughs> 
and this Daya um, were, um, were, she was the first person that had been asked, I think, to appear. And in her naivety, the yarn Daya just assumed that Christy Glass was charging her to be on her channel because of this colour of her skin, because she knew that the people that had been on the channel, the ordinary channel, didn't have to pay. So rather than sort of getting to the bottom of that and asking her why she was being charged, she just added that to the rant that Christy Glass only charged black businesses mm. whereas everyone else got it for free which was not true you know it's just a, I think that was just a misunderstanding so this is where I kind of came in because I saw all these accusations about Christy Glass being a racist and being a, a con artist and all these things so I I just wrote a post not thinking anyone would see it but I just wrote <laughs> what I think which I do a lot and it just said um, until this person shows evidence I think it's time everyone should just leave, you know, ignore her. Don't take any mm. um, any of the, what she's saying as, you know, as gospel. Well, then all hell broke loose for me then. So all of, I don't know who saw it, um, and she must have shared it with some sort of weird thing underneath it. And then the, the abuse that came my way was like, you know, just a tiny bit of what other people have had. But what was funny, that particular weekend, I was on form. You know, you know, when you, you've you just got that, I had I had my wits about me that day. And they were saying all these bizarre things to me. And I was just writing back, you know, quick one-liners, quite funny. Like one of them said, um, oh, what was it now? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm single. But one of them said, oh, it was a lesbian who contacted me and said, I'm going to steal your wife off you. So I just wrote back, you know, bear in mind, I don't have a wife. I just put, you can have her, <laughs> you know, and it was just little things like that. And they, they, I don't think they knew how to respond to me because mm. I just wasn't bothered by, well, I was bothered by some of the things they were saying. Uh, one person, um, one particularly nasty man who I've had dealings with since, and I, I'll get onto that a bit later, but he said that um, he hoped that in the following year, so in 2023, because this all happened in December of 2022, he said that he hoped I was orally raped. Um, and it's like, what a weird thing to say. And I kind of then I thought, ah, I get now what women get. Mm. You know, I kind of, so I, I realised then this is what, you know, women get when yeah. they're cancelled. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, they, that's an interesting point that you bring up because in these sorts of cancellation, particularly in the knitting wars, women are the worst perpetrators against women. Yes. And we yeah. see that a lot but now that the whole and and in posy parker's case it was a lot of women against women as well as a lot of really angry men and there are those sort of male adjacent characters so for someone to come at you like that so then you created the magazine i couldn't believe it when you put the premise and you're going to say right this i'm going to put this magazine out and you put the call out yeah. for people for submissions which is when i sort of my little ears pricked up i thought oh what's <laughs> neil up to um <laughs> Now, I personally thought that was exceptionally brave because you were in the thick of it. By this stage, I'd sort of started exiting stage left from people's yeah. consciousnesses in that sphere, which made me quite happy. Um, and <laughs> yeah. my, my, the way I decided to handle it and with the team and the people that I work with is that we have a policy is that they just didn't exist. So... If they tried to engage, I got, I used lots of band block and delete. 
if they were going to engage and not be well behaved in those spaces, um, it was gone. And I do, and for those that were out there saying, well, you know, you talk, you talk about free speech and say that's really important. Yes, I do. And I do believe in that. But I also believe that the minute that that crosses over into abuse, um, you know, I, I yeah. do not want to, I don't feel that I need to be abused. So that uh, is something that, you know, there's a, there's a line that I draw there. So when I posted um, my message saying, you know, unless she can come up with evidence, you should ignore her. I was then noticed by a couple of ladies who do a podcast called Politically Incorrect Knitters, and they invited me on to do a, a live show. So I was like, OMG, you know, I was like so nervous, you know, because I'd never done any of that before. And I was like, I spent about an hour getting ready for this podcast, you know, whereas now I'm like, I'm lucky if I'm there on time these days. Um, so I did this podcast with them and told them my story and what had happened and so on and then at the very end of it I sort of said this silly thing that I said oh I'm going to create a magazine to fight back and it was kind of just a spur of the moment thing that I said and one of the things that I said and it's uh, I don't know that it was in that one or the the interview I did with them later but I did say to them that what I wanted and this is how naive I was is that I wanted them to be so distracted by me and what I was doing that they would leave everybody else alone and that has been reasonably successful except I didn't have any inkling as to just how far they would cross the line into criminality so there's things I'm going to tell you that I don't think many people know I'm not going to say well, any names or anything but that, that is what has really amazed me because you are right you have drawn a massive amount of fire away from so many of us and this magazine is available online so we'll talk about we yep. define that uh, later but I am stunned at some of the responses that you have every now and then I'll jump into Instagram and sort of say, well, what's Neil up to? What's the magazine up to? And some, and you are amazing. You let anybody, I mean, you let the comments go. I mean, I, um, and, and I think, do you do that Neil, because you actually want people to see the true face of some of these people that, that come at you? Is that why yes. you leave those it's comments a- there? Yeah, it's exactly that. And the other thing is, like, if they say anything, if they call me a name, I tend to use it. So, you know, I've I've been called, uh, you know, I don't, one of the first insults was, your cats are ugly, you know, from a very well-known designer. And it's like, well, that is that it? Is that the best you've got? So now my fav- I use My favourite, though, is literally Nittler. <laughs> that is my personal favourite. Yeah, literally so I use Nittler. them now. So, oh, an evil Santa, because I look like Santa. So, and I use that. So I I write patterns with those names and things like that, because it's like making, you know, making it funny. But yeah, um, one of the things is, is that they do, they do the work for me. And the magazine pretty much writes itself. Because at the beginning, I was thinking, I'm not going to have enough material. You know, I was thinking, I've, I had enough in my mind for the first issue. And then I thought, I don't know what's going to happen after that. But then it is... There's always something that they're doing. Um, nothing on the scale of what happened with Nathan and um, and Christy Glass, but it. I think if I wasn't there writing about it, I think they would go that far mm. again. But now what I'm doing, the other thing I do is I highlight their racism. So they call me a racist, but I I 
copy their videos where they're saying truly racist, awful things about white people. And I just post it. I repost it and let people see what, you know, what they're saying. And they're the same people that are calling me a racist. And one of the things I say over and over and over again is, you know, we're now on to, I'm currently working on issue eight. Um, it's like there are eight issues of Block Magazine out there for anybody to read. It's free. It's a free magazine. And I keep saying, show the evidence. Show the evidence of where I'm racist or where I'm homophobic or where I'm transphobic or whatever the insult is that they're calling me. And they don't, but they do a very, very clever thing. And this is something that is, isn't just in the knitting world. They do this across the board, anybody who's woke. So what they say about my magazine, they before it was even released, there were people making videos saying that this magazine, this white supremacist magazine was going to be released on Friday, I think they were saying. Uh, you must not read it. I've read it for you. And then another one said, oh, no, I haven't actually read it, but I know what's in it. And it's like, hang on a minute, If you, <laughs> what's in it? You know, well, they won't tell you what's in it because it's so bad. Um, and then what they do, there was another woman who, uh, a British woman, and I, I kept saying, well, why don't you show what's in it? So she did a video where she had my magazine superimposed behind her. And she said, I'm showing you the evidence. And then she was pointing to things, but you couldn't see it because she was in front of it. So it's like, ah, so now you're you're able to say you've shown the racism in the magazine. You haven't actually shown anything because one, there isn't any racism, but two, you're making sure you're in front of it. And then she had to take that video down because they, the woke people said that it was harmful. She was harming people again by sharing what was in my magazine. So what they do now is they, they're all convinced it's racist. It's so racist that they can't share it because it's only going to harm, you know, people of colour. Um, and it's this myth that just perpetuates. Mm. So... You know, and you can't prove that it's not right because I'm not allowed to speak anywhere. But it's not about objective yeah. reality, Neil. It's about perceived <laughs> reality. Come on, you know this. <laughs> well, it's funny. They they choose really random things. Like the first issue had um, a cover, uh, a cover with a, a girl on the front who I know it is. I won't, I won't divulge who it is. And I was so pleased that we had this model because she was ethnically ambiguous you couldn't really tell what ethnicity she was and they immediately jumped on that and said that I was racist because I had a white model on the cover well having a white model on a cover is not racist mm. you know that it's just what it is it's just that model was white and mm. the thing that they do to a lot of people in this industry especially if they're a small business with you know small patterns or whatever most people choose their friends and family to model the items that they've you so if you're white and your family are white and you get your sister or your daughter to model the hat you've just made you know they're going to be white and the same goes for black people if you're a black designer your model is going to probably be black and the and actually yeah, there's a really interesting point you've brought up because i mean you are in complete control of your magazine you have total ed editorial control um yeah. you as i said before it's your party and you do do what you like <laughs> with it whereas what you brought up with other magazines i know that liner magazine came up against this this is a magazine a very a beautiful magazine that is published it's uh, scandinavian uh i think in origin so they a lot of it's got that very sort of scandinavian 
Andy Feel, well, of course, a lot of in the early issues, they were accused, weren't they, of the magazine being yeah. too white and not size inclusive. That's uh, <laughs> one that, that so, so the other thing, too, for people to realize out there, this isn't all just about race or just about yeah. sexuality. Um, size inclusivity in the knitting world is yeah. a big hot potato. Um <laughs> I find yeah. it fascinating because I'm a larger woman. I have been my I'm a larger mum. Yeah. And so. <laughs> I have never once in all the years that I've been knitting, even back in the days when they didn't design anything for my size, <laughs> I looked at it and I, I figured out how to do it myself. What a novel well, concept, Neil. Figuring stuff out for yourself. Yeah. I've I've got into uh, Japanese knitting patterns recently and um I've got these magazines from Japan. They're all in Japanese, they're not in English, but they do a very they have a brilliant way of doing knitting patterns and it's mostly pictorial. So they do schematics with very little information in there, but they're, well, I say little information. There's a, it doesn't look like there's much, but there's an incredible amount of information mm. if you know what to look for. But the thing about them is that they produce one size. That's it. You only get one size. They expect the knitter to whether this is right or wrong is irrelevant, but they expect the knitter to have enough skill to be able to figure out how to resize that. I mean, I think as a population, the Japanese are probably slightly smaller than, say, Americans or British. I don't know about New Zealand. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, so size inclusivity is a huge, huge hot potato, but also as is the whole gender thing now. So you're mm. not allowed to say that a pattern is for a man or a pattern is for a woman. You know, it ha can't be gender specific because why should, you know. So that's interesting. I've Because I've been a little bit, I've had other stuff going on in the last 12 months. <laughs> so I've missed where things have moved to. So is that now at the forefront? So it is all about non is, i mean what do they say do they say non-binary or they just, just say this is a sweater or how, this, how are yeah. they how are they framing it exactly that it, the, the, you're not allowed to say that it's gender specific so you know this is a sweater if you want to wear it and knit it you wear it and knit it which there's nothing wrong with that you know if you you know if you want to knit whatever and wear whatever then that's fine but i think the the, the categories are quite important for people for different reasons, you know, and I, I, you know, there are some stereotypes, yes, but those stereotypes aren't harmful, you know, mm. like boys and girls, you know, dressing babies in different colours. It's not harmful to a baby to be dressed in blue or pink or whatever, you know, or to be put in a, a more like dress-like knitted item rather than, you know, but it's the... It's not even that they do this and that this is out there, because that's fine. These are things that you could have a discussion about and, you know, decide if you want to as a designer. Yeah, all right, I will make things that are 7XL and I will make things that are gender neutral. That would be absolutely brilliant if people were allowed to just do that. But what they do is if they find a designer, particularly if they're female, white and possibly attractive, they will hone in on that designer and they will harass them and say, why don't you offer your patterns in this size? Or why are your patterns labelled as for men or for women or whatever? Um, and then if that designer doesn't respond with an apology and that they will do better, they then get ostracised and people, they try and run campaigns to stop people buying those patterns. And there was one that happened to a Scandinavian, it's funny you mentioned uh, Lane mm. magazine. Um, there was a 
a Scandinavian designer, and they said that with her photo, so this links him back to the model on the cover thing I was talking about earlier, is that uh, all of her patterns were being worn by blonde-haired girls, which are her but children. She, mod- she, she, modeled her, she models her own and her children model them, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And we're talking and, about Petite, and, and her name yes, is Petite Nitz. This yeah. is her, I mean... Yeah. If you don't quite figure out where we're going with the name of the designer, <laughs> I think you're... But what they were saying is that she's not just selling a design, she's selling whiteness. You know, she's selling an ideal of whiteness. And it's like, no, she's just selling a pattern. Mm. And it just happens that her family are the people that she uses. And why shouldn't she sell the patterns that she sells? She's Scandinavian. Yeah, you know, she so doesn't true. live in, I don't know, it's, it's Europe. People don't want to acknowledge this, but Europe, the indigenous people of Europe are white people. So if you're in Europe and things are white, that's just what it's like. If you go to Africa and expect there to be a million white people everywhere, you're going to be disappointed. Um, You mentioned before, I want to actually cycle back actually to something you mentioned before about apology and that they, Mm. uh, they will have a pile on and they expect to have an apology. I have a really interesting view when it comes to apologies. And I think I'd like to hear your view. My view is the golden rule of cancellation and pile-on is do not apologise, golden rule number one. (laughs) Absolutely, When people come to me and ask advice, that's the first thing I'll say to you, you've done nothing wrong. If you've done nothing wrong, do not apologise for it. I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, your reaction was to create a magazine, Neil. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I did everything the opposite to what people would probably think to do. Um, Yeah, if you apologise, and you must never apologise for because unless you really feel that you've done something wrong, so if you have been genuinely racist, apologise by all means. But if someone's accusing you of being racist or homophobic or whatever it might be, and you know in the bones of you that you haven't been, do not apologise because what will happen is that that apology will not be taken at face value, they will, if you've written it, so if it's something that you've put on the internet, they will literally go away and they will pick apart that message word by word to find things that they don't like where you haven't been reading the room is one of the words they phrases they say so if you don't write it the way they want it then you know you're doomed well you're doomed anyway the moment you apologize that is it there's Mm. no coming back from it at that point whereas what i found and this isn't right for everyone so what what you did marie was right for you is that you just carried on with your life and you stepped back and that worked for you what other people do they apologize and try and get back in their good books, which doesn't work. But then what I decided to do was to fight back. And it isn't right for all people. And you to do what I do, you have to be, oh, what's the word? It's not that you have to be resilient because there have been times when I've not been resilient. You know, there's mm-hmm. been times when it has really got to me. But then other days, committed. I, think, no. I think you. I think you Co- need yes, to be committed. committed yeah, That's and word, you. Yeah. And one of the advantages, which is a positive and negative advantage, but one of the things, as you said, you, you're on your own. You've got your cats. You've. Um, <laughs> I know from my perspective, I had um, people other people in the sphere that I had to consider so that so it's not just about the decision wasn't based just about me and so I had to consider people around me the people I work with my family I mean they were coming for my family 
it was it it wasn't wasn't great however you you do you make the right decision but I do you did my fight back was I had the opinion that the best way to fight back was with success so from a business perspective it's like no you're trying to destroy the businesses that I'm either involved with or I own and I'm not going to let you do that so I doubled down on the amount of work and time that I spent in those businesses to make them work and I think you did that with the magazine too I mean you 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 created something that you know is a throwaway comment you've turned it you're now into eight uh coming up to the eight editions how is the success of the magazine it's free what sort of um downloads are you getting I mean how many people are reading the magazine oh well it's quite funny really so what happened the very first issue so when that was the one that they went for and it's like whatever you do don't read this magazine and um, they managed to get it taken down from the platform twice they managed to get me banned from quite a few forums so I was banned from Linktree for a short time but then I appealed and then they had to look so now what happens is the platform that hosts the magazine every month or well not every month but every issue um it gets flagged and immediately gets taken down so it's like somebody is waiting it's like they look on my instagram and wait for the edition to be released and then they immediately go and flag it and the way it works is that if they flag it if they do it when there isn't a physical person in the office so if they do it at a weekend for example it gets taken down automatically and it won't get reinstated until there's a human in the office to look at the magazine and say, oh, there's no racism in this. And I've tried to get them to resolve this. And I do have a way around it now, but it's quite, I'm not going to say what it is because it'll it'll help them to get around that as well. But it's quite funny. But that first issue that they were desperate for people not to read, it actually ended up having 20,000 views. Now, for me, people out there might think that's not many. Well, for me, that was a lot. You know, I honestly thought that I would have at the most about 2,000 readers. I didn't think there'd be any more because I'd kind of worked out who some of the prominent people were that were on sort of my side of the knitting wars and they tended to have about 1800 to 2500 followers on Instagram so I thought that was my audience I thought that is it but what I don't know whether I'm going off topic a little bit here but what I've found and this is why I'm still doing it because when I get onto some of the things that they've done you'll think why is he still doing this but I was getting email upon email and some of them almost brought me to tears there was one in particular where I just I just couldn't believe what this woman was writing to me. And she, I tend to get these emails that either say, you know, I'm a worthless piece of whatever, hope you die, whatever, or they say, please don't stop what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing. And then this one person wrote me an email about how she had tried to commit suicide. And the reason was because of what, some of these bullies had done to her and her small business. And then I had other people who are famous in our world. You know, I can't say who they are. There's there's a few, there's a handful that have contacted me and said, you know, things like I'm such and such a body from such and such a place. What I support you in your magazine, but I can't say because they will destroy my business and I've got a family and I need to feed them and so mm. on. And so, but it's please carry on with what you're, you know, and, but also, yep, I know exactly. um, and it, and that kind of really kind of, got me you know it was kind of like oh my god I I just thought I was doing this to be I don't know what the word is but just 
to be an argumentative git, you know, but it's like there's that it's become something more than that now. And it's those silent voices, though, those silent voices yeah. that have been waiting for somebody to, to speak for them. And I get that a lot too. The number of people, yeah. um, I have a saying that it only takes one to stand up for others to follow. And a lot of people, the, the way that they follow is, is they'll support your business or they'll start having their own little courageous conversations, but they they feel intimidated. And yeah, you're right. Those sorts of messages well, do keep you going. But what is what are some of the shenanigans though that, I mean, well, how, how deep have things gone? I mean- Oh, it's been bad. It's been yeah. bad. The police have been involved. Um, and I, at the beginning of this, I thought to myself, well, they can't touch me. I've got nothing to lose. They don't know what I do as a job, or even if I have a job. I'm very, very careful about, I don't talk about anything. If, I, if anyone asks, I say I'm single. Whether I am single or not, I will never say. You know, I'm never going to tell mm. anybody if I'm with someone, because I, you know, I just don't want to involve other people. However, it's... It's what they've done is quite shocking, really. So the one of the first things that happened was um, I a friend of mine. So this is my own mistake. I didn't realize that this could happen. But I had a friend who took some photographs. I did a technique uh, article, and it was about um, how to go from crocheting to knitting and some techniques that you could use. So I asked him to take some photos of my hands holding the needles and the hooks and so on. So he did. And he wanted his um, username putting on there, his Instagram username. So didn't think much of it. There was nothing on there that I thought identified him. Well, they found him and they wrote to his employer and said that he was involved in a racist white supremacist magazine and he worked for a solicitor. So what oh. they were hoping was that, you know, that would get him fired. But the inter the funny thing was, and this is true, I'm not just making this up, They uh, the HR manager, he, he actually showed him the magazine and showed him the photos that he'd taken and let them look through it. And they ended up laughing about it. And the HR manager said to him something like, obviously I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly, but just said, you know what? He said, I'm going to go and ring my gran. He said, she's a knitter and I'm actually worried about her, you know, because of how toxic the knitting yeah. world is. So that's when it started to get bad with that. But then it got worse. And it got worse for me because they were, they had found, somebody has gone to all the trouble of finding as much information about me and my past as possible. So the first thing was my address was published. Uh, the next thing ah, was... Ah, good old classic doxing. Oh, yes, yes. Being uh, there, done it was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it was uh, some medical records. And it was like quite funny because I just, you know, there's nothing in my medical history that I'm ashamed of, you know. So I just said, you know, what do you want to see next? You know, do you want to see my colonoscopy report? You know, what is it you want? You know, so that was released as well. And then I thought this is, I wasn't bothered at that point, but I thought this is kind of crossing a line. Um, but then what they did is because they couldn't get to me. Uh, oh, actually, no, there was something else they did on a, on a live. Somebody asked me once uh, whether I was retired. So just trying to be coy, because I don't want to answer those kind of questions. I just know unofficially. So what happened next was about three weeks, two weeks, three weeks later, is I actually had local government here wanting me to declare all of my finances because they had been informed that I was illegally taking a pension. And 
I, <laughs> so it's like, I mean, nothing could happen because I wasn't doing that, but it was the fact that that happened and they came mm. to my door, you know, wanting me to, you know, uh, so that happened. And then I thought, mm, this is starting to get a little bit weird now. Um, and then, um, a person in America who I don't even know, she commented on something I'd written on Instagram and agreed with it. So she worked in a library. So then they went to her employer and tried to get her fired. And then I knew, then I realized what they were doing. So basically what they're trying to do is that they can't get me. So they want to scare anybody who's connected to the magazine by going for them and going for their families and what really kind of did it for me was um they found how i do not know there's no way of them having a link as far as i know but they found a good friend of mine who works in a school and they sent an email to the school saying that she was collaborating with a Nazi and a white supremacist. And But what was really funny about it is um, that she got the email before anybody else did. So I actually knew about it the day it happened, you know, as mm. it had happened. And so she just went straight to HR and told them. And then it was at that point, and there was a few other things that I'm not sure I can say, uh, but I went to the police. Mm. and I just said look you know this, you're gonna laugh I said you know I've got a gang of angry knitters in America that hate me you know I just said well what they're doing is they're they're targeting people I know now and they're actually causing people to be afraid oh the other thing they did was they uh, one of my um friends online uh, I won't say who this is as well but they published her address as well but in mm. a very clever way they don't just publish the address it's the guilt by association yeah. 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 So when I went okay. to the police, it's probably a bit more like New Zealand. I told them what had been happening and I said, look, I don't think there's anything you can do. And they said they've committed a crime. And I went, what? And they said they've actually um, they've committed the crime of online harassment and the miscommunication act of whatever it is has been breached. And what I've then found out is that one carries a five year sentence in prison and the other one carries a three year sentence in prison. So I then posted that I thought let people know I just said you know I've contacted the police because of the things that had been going on and um, so then they were like oh he's been to the police Ooh, cry baby but what was really interesting was all the British people that had been doing it have just shut up yeah because they know they know well, so you actually it's because this is interesting because we have heard of uh situations on the other side of the fence so like for people in the uk i think there was a woman who was praying um who got yes. who was arrested because she was praying outside of a school or, or a clinic um clinic, but yeah. it's actually and it's probably similar within the similar statutes that this this law sits it so it, it does actually show that the door sort of swings both ways now i'm just looking at the time so i better keep moving oh, yeah. i want <laughs> i do want to know though is uh because anybody now that is listening to this will be thinking i never want to knit ever again in my entire <laughs> life I, i'm here to assure you that this is what we're talking about is the extreme and i personally believe neil and i i would like to get your views on this I think I think that this big ship is beginning to turn around. I have seen yeah. tremendous uh, improvement and awareness and strength and resilience in the community in the last two years. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I don't think it has come from the community itself necessarily. I think it's other factors. So Posey Parker, for one, you know, the mm. people like Posey Parker are 
highlighting the ridiculousness of what's going on. I think a lot of the things to do with um, trans and the the sto- drag story hour thing, whatever it's called, mm. I think a lot of that has fed into this as well because people are getting a bit sick of it. People are getting sick of being called a racist, being called names when they haven't done anything wrong and basically just for existing. You know, you, at the moment, it seems to be that if you're, especially if you're a white cisgender or whatever they say heterosexual man you are literally at the bottom of the pile and you are evil incarnate just for existing and then everybody else is on a a spectrum getting less and less evil until you get to the top which is probably you know a a black um lesbian stroke non-transgender whatever Yeah. yeah Um, but yeah, it is changing, and I've and it is changing in the nitty world, like you say. And it's been slow, and it's definitely. Oh, I do want to say as well, you know, it isn't just you and I that are standing up. There are other people that have been mm. doing it for longer mm-hmm. than I have, for example. Um, and what's been great is that we found each other. So now we have a little bit of a community. And you say we were saying before about how hard it is for these indie dyers to keep going in this climate is that one thing we don't pass around blacklists what we do is we pass around a list of people that you you know we support people Mm. it's not about what they say or don't do but it's like yeah we support skeins we support x we support y so the loyalty that those people have got is that they go to those dyers and those yarn stores before they go anywhere else so i think the people on our side of the knitting wars that are in small businesses, hopefully will survive whatever financial problems are going to come in the future as well, mm. just because of the loyalty. So we might not have the the breadth of choice, but we have a very, you know, solid group of people. And, you know, if you want to be put in touch with anybody, you know, contact me, contact the magazine. You know, I yeah, will... where can they find them? We, I mean, if someone's now this has piqued their interest and they want to to look at a knitting magazine, and believe me, people, there are patterns in there as well. Stop it, shut there it. are, uh, yeah. there are. So where do, where do they find you, um, Neil, on both social and how can they download the magazine? Okay, well, the easiest way is on Instagram because that is where I'm most active, and it's at blocked mag on instagram and on my instagram page if you go there's a under my profile picture there's a link tree and if you click on that it takes you to every all of the issues of the magazine are listed plus my youtube channel because i do i'm I'm not uh, prolific with my videos but i do one at least once a month where i interview someone uh, about all sorts of different things but it's usually about knitting for about 20 minutes and then about a different subject afterwards so it isn't just for knitters um that's where you can mostly find me i do have a website in the making but it's not live yet um, and when that comes out it will be uh, blockedmagazine.com but it isn't live yet there's nothing on there to see at the moment oh awesome hey look this has been so fun and i really do appreciate you giving us some time this morning everybody don't go away i've got media matters coming up with marty where we unpick some of the stories of the week here in new zealand as well as one or two from overseas that is all and more on rcr People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic and I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation do we end up bringing people together again and what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. 
Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behavior and patterns of behavior? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up.